You're listening to episode 59 of the National Centre for Writing podcast. Every week we tell stories about writers and discuss writing techniques. It's 28th of August 2019 here at Dragon Hall in Norwich. I'm Simon Jones, Digital Marketing Manager here at the Centre, and I'm joined by Communications Manager Steph McKenna. Hello, Simon. And we are sat outside in the garden at Dragon Hall. We are enjoying our little sunspot in the garden. It's looking very beautiful. Yes, because why not? It is so hot at the moment. We've got to take advantage of it. Exactly. Um, and it seems strange that although we're sat out here in 30 degree heat, that actually we're nearing the end of the summer holiday period and mm. September's just around the corner, which means that the Noirage Crime Writing Festival is also just around the corner. It does. I'm sort of hoping for this kind of weather for Noirage, even though that's probably not a very crime atmosphere <laughs> style weather. I'd rather it didn't rain the whole time. Yeah, so. no, you never know. And we do have the bloody brunch on the Sunday. We do. That would be a nice opportunity to catch some rays in this garden. Yeah, so that's like a little tradition we do at the Crime Writing Festival every year. We're mm. on the Sunday morning. We get everyone gathered here. Hopefully, if the weather's good, we're out in the garden or in the gallery and there's a bloody brunch cocktail going on. There is, yeah. If you buy a ticket for the bloody brunch, which is the combo uh, ticket for both events that Sunday morning, you get a complimentary Bloody Mary. Uh, we'll be selling, I think we're selling sort of bacon baps and things like that. There'll be coffee in the garden, lots of books to browse. It's just a really nice, nice opportunity to uh, attend some events, meet some people. Uh, enjoy Dragon Hall. It's just, yeah, it's always very popular, which is very nice, which is why we keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. So Noirage takes place over four days, starting on Thursday the 12th and running through to the Sunday. And it's packed full of amazing writers, as always. Uh, on the podcast today, we actually have Claire McGowan, who's talking about the workshop that she's going to be giving on the Friday. So what events are really jumping out at you, Steph? And we've got a bonus event as well, haven't we? Coming yes. up much sooner than the main festival. We do. So next week, we've got a very special event with James Elroy, who uh, is also known as the demon dog of American literature. Um, he's best known for books such as The Black Dahlia and L.A. Confidential. Um, so he's a really, really well-known writer. Um, I've spoken to plenty of people who wouldn't really consider themselves, you know, crime readers and they just absolutely love him they know exactly who he is um and it's you know it's a rare it's a rare trip for him over here and i don't think he's been to norwich before so we're very excited to host him on the 4th of september next wednesday at uea and this is billed as a sort of warm-up event uh, a couple of weeks before Noirage begins. Uh, James will be talking about his new novel, This Storm, which is set in the wake of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. Um, I think we're just really, really excited to have such an influential crime writer, you know, right in front of us. In our midst, yeah. yeah. We've got, yeah, so many writers this year that they've actually kind of exploded out of the festival. They There's have, just yeah. too many to fit into We couldn't fit him days. in and we couldn't not have him. So we've uh, invented this extra event so that we can make sure we, we, we've turned it into a month of crime rather than just the festival yes. weekend, really. And, and why not? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Noirage website can be found at noirage.co.uk. That is N-O-I-R, Noir. Noir, yes, it's it, not a spelling mistake. It's a pun. <laughs> uh, you can find out all the information there and grab tickets. And looking at the workshops in particular, so on the Friday, there's mm. two workshops. They've both got morning and afternoon slots to make it as easy as possible for people to get along to them. And uh, Claire McGowan is doing one of them. Yes, she is on creating memorable characters, as you said. Uh, and then we've also got Mick Heron, who's been going to be talking about how to craft a gripping spy thriller. And he's known for uh, his Jackson Lamb series, which is very, very compelling um, and very, very popular. So, again, someone that we're very lucky to have with us. 
Um, and if you, you know, can book a ticket and get the opportunity to, you know, speak to him almost one-on-one -on -one really, because they're, they're not huge classes, class sizes, um, I think it's just a really, a rare treat. Yeah, and I mean, what, what kind of writer are these workshops aimed at? They're fairly open to all, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're all all abilities, really, whether it's someone who, you know, would like to try crime writing or any kind of writing for the first time. These are almost bite-sized workshops. They're a couple of hours long. Um, or if you've been writing for a little bit longer, you feel a bit more experienced, but um, you'd like a bit more practical advice from sort of experienced writers out there. I think it could suit pretty much any, any ability, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely get something out of them. So, yeah, on the podcast, we... We have Claire, who talks a lot about her work and how she got into writing, her techniques for creating characters and ongoing series plots. Uh, Claire's new book, What You Did, has just come out this month. Mm. And then she's got another book coming out in October. Wow, she's been busy. Yes, yeah, called The Other Wife. We talk a little bit in the interview about her productivity. And I think her first book was published in 2012. Wow. And then since then, she's just nonstop been publishing every year. And... I think she's got three books coming up in within six months of each other. Wow, you've moment. got to have a very strict routine to do that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, she talks a lot about how she does things and her kind of daily routine. Mm. And it's maybe not quite as routine as you might expect. Oh, OK, um, that's interesting. And she's always working on different projects. She's doing a lot of script writing at the moment. She had a show on Radio 4 earlier this year. So yeah, all sorts of stuff going on there. Um, so yeah, here is Claire McGowan talking about crime writing. Hello Claire, how are you today? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Excellent. So uh, you're going to be in Norwich in September for mm -hmm. the Norwich Festival to be teaching a workshop which we're calling Making a Murderer. And this is going to be focusing in on creating a protagonist for a crime series. So looking at your work, I mean, you've written a lot. <laughs> I, was looking I have, yeah. Over, yeah, and am I right in thinking your first book was published in 2013? Is that right? I think it was 2012. 2012. And yeah. Um, yeah, since then, you, you haven't slowed down at all. Uh, lots of crime books. You've been writing screenplays as well. Mm -hmm. I was kind of wondering, uh, what is your typical kind of writing day look like when you're producing such a lot of work at a time? Uh, it's so funny, actually. I get asked that question all the time and I don't really have a good answer for it. I don't really have a kind of set routine. I think just it's quite a variable job. So things just come up and you have to do them. So it's actually quite difficult to get into a really good routine for longer mm -hmm. than a few months, say. So yeah. you might have, for example, you might be going really well with your new book and then you might get the the first the book before that to edit or to check the proofs or to copy edit. And that'll probably take a few days to a week longer for edits. So it's quite, it's quite difficult, I think, actually, to keep any kind of consistent routine going. Yeah, and it's having multiple projects on the go at the same time, how you like to work. Yeah, I think I, I'm quite easily bored. I've always really wanted to work from home and not have another job. And up until last year, I had a teaching job as well, part-time in a university, which sort of got me out and about. And I was kind of quite, I was pleased to give that up. I think I'd done it for nearly six years and I was I was ready to do something else. And so now I'm writing full-time, but I do find, conversely, I'm in the house a lot. So I need to keep myself occupied, I suppose, and keep the interest up and... I think it's quite difficult to work on the same project for more than a few hours, for me anyway. So if I have something else to move on to, that's quite helpful. Yeah, I think particularly because writing can be such a solitary thing. Uh, so it's not like you're working yeah. on one project with a team of people. 
No, it's a weird sort of dichotomy where you really crave being alone and you, you really want that peace and quiet to get on with it. But at the same time, you can get a bit bored sometimes and a bit lonely. In terms of, I mean, you've written the Paula Maguire books. There's mm-hmm. six of them now, plus one novella. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of talking about creating a crime series and in particular, how you come up with the lead character for the series. Um, I was wondering with the Paula Maguire books, did you know from the very beginning that it was going to be a series? Pretty early on, yeah. So I started writing the first book in that series, the last, in in the same way I write, I, I think, all my best stuff, which is when I'm supposed to be writing something else. So I was actually under contract <laughs> for a different book. And I just had this idea that kind of wouldn't leave me alone. And quite quickly, I, I saw that there was enough story in it and there'd be a, a very, I hoped, a very strong supporting cast, which is also a good thing to have if you want to bring the book back. So originally, I think I thought it might be a trilogy, um, I don't know why, but new writers are just really obsessed with trilogies. It's not really a thing in the world, but except for new writers. Um, and then I realised, no, it's probably going to be a bit more. Yeah, and the crime genre in particular is very supportive of the notion of the series. It is and it isn't. It's interesting. I get asked this quite a bit by new... I do quite a lot of work with, with sort of new and aspiring writers. And I think sometimes people say, you know, if I write a series or if this has series potential, will that help me get published? Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the truth, to be honest. I think there's obviously upsides to writing a series in that if it takes off, you've got more of the same and eventually people come back for the characters, I think. And it is for the characters that they they keep reading. Something like um, the Jack Fletcher books, for example, which are a very loose kind of series, but people come back to those to catch up with Jack Fletcher again and again. Um, But on the other hand, if the series hasn't taken off, then it's quite difficult to make that happen. So I think ultimately that's kind of why I stopped writing the Paul and Maguire books. Partly I'd said what I wanted to say, but also they just weren't, they weren't, they hadn't really taken off in the way that I hoped. So I saw that there was more potential in writing standalones. So I think, well, guess what I would advise is don't shoehorn a series in if it's not going to naturally fit. Yeah, it has to come out of the story in the first place rather than being kind of designed. You could also think about, is there a way to make this a series in a very loose sense? So I quite like, uh, for example, Paula Daly is an author that I really like. Um, and interestingly, her books have just been filmed for TV. It just started this week. It's called Deep Water on ITV. Um, and some of, some of her books are sort of a series. They kind of work as standalones, but they have a recurring detective character who's in a lot of them. So that's like an interesting way to do it. That's not so rigid. And when you go about creating a lead character for what might become a series, um, I mean, obviously it varies depending on every writer, but how much development work and thought did you put into the Paula Maguire character from the start with the thinking that, you know, this might be a character that has to carry several books. I would say that character creation is the the area that I do most organically when I'm writing a book. So I never really do any kind of character planning exercises or, you know, writing down what their qualities are like or anything like that. It just comes really organically. Uh, So I suppose I just made her, I think I was about the same age as she was when it started um, and of course, what I didn't realise was that time was going to run differently in the books than in real life. If you do a book a year, that's six years. Um, we don't cover six years in the books. So quite quickly, I kind of outstripped her and quite quickly, the books were set in the past, even though just a few years. So that was something to think about. Um, she just kind of came to me quite fully formed, I think. I knew she was going to have red hair. I knew she was going to be difficult and untidy and have an untidy life and be sort of that, cl- that slight cliche of being brilliant at her job and rubbish at her private life maybe that is helpful for people to know that you don't have to do it in a very rigidly planned way if that doesn't work for you. 
I think so, yeah. I mean, I think the notion of having to plan everything out in advance can be massively off-putting to some writers. And Yeah, and some people, that just doesn't work for some people. Yeah, and it certainly doesn't really work for me. So what I've ended up doing is a sort of hybrid. But I suppose some of these considerations, I probably am thinking through them, like um, how can I make this person interesting enough to carry a series and complex enough? And a lot of that was also to do with the people around her and giving her a quite a complex private life and, and backstory. Um, and I knew quite early on she was going to have a baby. Um, and she wasn't She wasn't going to be totally sure who the father was. So complications like that and her in the books her brother has been missing since she was a teenager. Um, so the story of what happened to her brother kind of runs through them all as well. So I knew things like that, that, you know, there was going to be a lot of meaty story there to get through. But I didn't sit down and think, you know, just what, just what kind of, does she like tea or coffee? You know, what kind of music does she like? <laughs> that kind of thing. And I think that's great when people do that, but it doesn't really work for me. Yeah. And is that because you want, I mean, going for that kind of organic way of you know, discovering characters as you go along, is that partly because you want to be surprised yourself and find it out rather than having it kind of all down in a spreadsheet somewhere? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I quite enjoy that process of just figuring it out. And when I'm in the early stages of a book, I'm thinking all these things through, like, what kind of character are they? Would they do this? Um, most of all, thinking, what's the structure of this book? How do I need to tell this so that it works? Yeah, it was funny that you mentioned time and how time in the books ran at a different pace to real life because different writers approach that differently in that sometimes you'll have a series which is kind of locked in a particular time and never really develops in that regard then uh, you'll have I think Ian Rankin's books are kind of set in real time so as Mm -hmm. the books come out they're set in whenever that time period is and time passes relative so there's always different ways of doing it. He has said that that became annoying to him because he had to retire Rebus because they were moving in real time and realistically he would have retired. And then they changed the rules so that he wouldn't have had to be retired. So I think he brought him back at that point. So just making sure to be to stick to real life quite carefully. That's the problem with having a massively successful series where you have to keep mm-hmm. bringing him back. That's true, yeah. In terms of creating characters that feel fresh, particularly in something which is uh, such a defined genre like crime, where people who like crime read a lot of crime novels. Uh, how, do, how do you try and make things feel new and fresh to a reader? I suppose I just think about what, what type of characters have we not seen? What type of voices have we not heard? I, when I was writing the first Paula book, I was a young woman. I suppose I still am a young woman. Um, so I just made her a young woman. That, that made sense to me. Um, and I didn't see that as being particularly groundbreaking but I suppose it, it was still quite a fresh thing to do at that point and um, particularly in Northern Ireland crime fiction which at that point had been very male dominated I think I was the first female crime writer from Northern Ireland to get published there's, there's quite a few now but I think I was the first as far as I know um so it was kind of doing something a bit new it was writing about the troubles from a very personal female point of view whereas previously it had been written about in a very sort of military history way um, but again, that was that was sort of accidental. I just wrote about, you know, what what do I know? What kind of character do I know? What's my life like? And just wrote about that. Yeah, that's always a good starting point. Yeah, I do think quite a bit now about, um, and this is something I'm going to cover in the workshop, definitely. Um, it's becoming more and more important every year is the concept of sort of diversity in your cast and also about own voices movement, which has been a sort of informal movement about getting authors who come from particular backgrounds to write their own stories rather than being written about um but then you get you get the question of you know if you are if you are kind of 
middle-aged white man, which a lot of writers are, a lot of crime writers are, not all, but quite a lot, um, does that mean you could only write that? And I think that's quite a sad and depressing outlook, if that's the case. So I think some, somewhere in between the two is probably the best approach. Yeah, and I guess the onus there is also on publishers as well to try and diversify the kinds of people that they're actually putting out there. Definitely, yeah. And there are some really great schemes that are happening now. Um, I think in the past, publishing has been quite elitist, um, particularly in the terms of people who work in it, just because, like many industries, they rely on they have relied in the past on unpaid internships to get people into it. And that's changing now. There are lots of great, great movements and so on. Um, so I will, I will kind of think sometimes... Um, you know, this book is this book like is everyone in this book white, for example. Um, and some I'm writing thrillers now, standalone thrillers. That is often the case because I'm, I'm writing about a sort of middle class world, um, which unfortunately is often still white people. So I might I might think there, you know, is there any character here that maybe doesn't have to be white, you know, um, or doesn't have to be straight, or you know, can I just sort of try and reflect the world in my book? Um, and because my series is set in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland is still a pretty white place, so. That came out a bit, but I did think about, you know, it's not exclusively white and how can I reflect that? Yeah. And in terms of your move into more standalone novels now, presumably that gives you the freedom with each book to explore whatever you want and whatever kind of characters and settings that interest you at that point in time, rather than being kind of locked into Paula Maguire's world. Yeah. So it becomes, I suppose, a bit more about the story, the concept rather than the characters. So the new the new thriller that I'm writing now is about um, an antenatal group. So a group of people that the only thing they have in common is they're all expecting babies. And that's been really fun so far because I can make them extremely different. And that's the whole point, really, is that they're all very different, but they're thrown together by this group. Yes, yeah, that mashing together of massively divergent people just through one common thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the, the kind of clashes that come out of that as a result. I was wondering, in terms of a crime series where you have a kind of a central character that is common throughout the books, how do you go about balancing their development and storylines that revolve around them with the individual needs of each book and the, the book's specific plot? Uh, I think, again, that's something I probably did quite naturally. Um, I like crime fiction that has a love story in it. Not Not everyone does, but... I've always really liked that, um, probably because I also write romance and women's fiction on the side. So that made sense to me. Um, so I guess every book, I just had a sense of, okay, this is the main story. Um, this is going to carry the bulk of the story, probably. So let's say maybe maybe two thirds will be the main story. And then the remaining third will be some, some part of her private life, what's going on there, her love life and so on. Uh, and then there'll also be some ongoing stories. So... Uh, what happened to her mother and there's quite a lot of supporting characters who develop throughout and it's like what happened to them as well so I didn't I didn't ever sit down and plan out those ratios but I would say that's probably how it's worked out. Presumably you don't have to have development of that character if you don't want to as a writer so you had the ongoing mystery with her mother to explore mm-hmm. um, but you know some series have basically had a kind of fixed character that the fixed anchor point around which to tell other stories. Yeah, so I mentioned uh, the Jack Reacher books before. I don't think he changes very much. Uh, the kind of golden age detectives like Poirot and Miss Marple, they never change. And that's, I think, part of the joy of going back to those books is you'll, get, you'll, you'll know exactly what to expect in terms of character, but you don't know what to expect in terms of plot. How have you found with crime readers, how important is 
the notion of sort of continuity because certainly you know I, I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction and that's a genre where the readers can get quite obsessive over that kind of thing and is that something that you find in crime fiction as well or do you have more kind of leeway per book to do whatever the book needs to do no i've not personally experienced anything but there is a there is a mistake in the books that i i don't know if anyone's ever spotted that i i'd sort of said something happened a certain way a minor incident and then i realized it would be better in in subsequent books it would be better if it had happened a different way so i just changed it so i contradicted myself uh, I don't know if mm-hmm. anyone's ever noticed, no one's said. But yeah, I would say crime readers are pretty eagle-eyed. Um, and one thing that they're really, really good at is working out what happened and who done it. So I think one of the hardest things for crime writers is to try and stay ahead of that. And if anyone tells me you know, they didn't guess what happened, then I'm always really pleased because I've, I've done my job. Yeah, it's, it's finding that balance of feeding enough information so that you can almost get it and feel like they're going in the right direction. But being one step ahead yeah so with my new book uh what you did that's out at the minute that's a standalone thriller with a small cast something happens at a party an assault um there's only nine people there and some of them are children so there's not that many people that could have done it so what i've done is i've thrown in a very big red herring towards the end which seems to have distracted people so that they didn't get and there are clues all the way through as to what really happened but people I think aren't quite getting that which is really good and I think because I've distracted them by throwing in some other suspects so so that's work that's always really gratifying if I do pull that off. It is interesting what you're saying about the fact that you've moved away from the Paula Maguire books and that was a very conscious thing so in terms of what you're writing at the moment because you've just had a book come out this month yes with I have what you did uh, and I'm, have you yeah. got another book coming out in October? I do yes I actually have three books coming out this year which I'm not <laughs> I didn't quite realise that because I have the Ava Woods one, uh, women's fiction one coming out in September. Um, and I didn't write three in a year. They must have just stepped up a little bit. But it's quite funny. They're sort of coming out one after the other. Yes. Yeah, so are these books that have you know, been in development in various forms for a, a while and they just happen to have reached publication at the same time? Yeah. So what you did, I actually started writing a, a good few years ago. I'd say it was at least three years ago. I wrote a large chunk of it, let's say half of it, if not more. Uh, and then I sort of put it aside for a while and came back to it eventually. And I think that it really benefited from that. It's like I really, at the time, I wasn't quite sure what the structure was going to be or who was going to tell the story in terms of viewpoint characters. Um, and the final twist hadn't come to me. So I think it really worked to have a bit more marination time. Um, the other two were both written in, in the same six month period, which was quite difficult. And I will be trying not to do again. So, yeah, in terms of your always having multiple projects on at the same time, is that always the struggle of trying to keep it manageable while also wanting to have lots of things on the go? <laughs> yes, definitely. I'm very impatient. Uh, I am quite fast writer. I'm easily bored. So all of those things mean it's, it works quite well for me to write a lot um, and write quickly. But I do have a capacity and I have to recognise when I've hit that. And it's about sort of careful planning um, asking for the right deadlines that will work for me and not being afraid to say, you know, I can't, I can't do it by then, I need more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, I think, having to learn to say no to things, which is quite difficult. You've just recently, you were saying, moved into writing full-time. Yeah, so just, just last year, I guess, yeah. Yeah, so does that mean you have more flexibility in terms of what you say yes and no to now because uh, you feel like you're in a more stable position or does that actually make it harder? Uh, I definitely have more time, yeah. So 
I guess it's just about if, it, if a big opportunity comes along, it's just about weighing it up really carefully and saying, yes, I can do that. Or no, that's not going to mm-hmm. add to my right. So um, you mentioned earlier, I've been writing scripts. So um, that's kind of a big goal of mine at the minute is to write something for a TV. So it means I have a bit of time to put into that as well. But obviously the books that I'm contracted for have to come first. And so scripts writing is the, the next sort of challenge that you're trying to do. And But you've had a radio drama on Radio 4. Blackwater already? Yeah, uh, I had a radio drama um, at the start of the year, which was great, a 10 parter, uh, also crime, also set in Northern Ireland. So uh, that's actually had, I've had a really good response. So I'm quite pleased with how that's turned out. I think it's done quite well. Is writing for radio and screen kind of the, the end goal for you? Or will you always be writing novels as well and kind of mixing different forms together? I would hope to always be mixing, yeah, because books have been really kind to me. Um, I wrote my first book years ago well it was probably about I think I probably started writing seriously in I would say 2007 I'd always written all of my life but I'd never finished anything and that was the year I said right you've got to finish this book just do it um and I worked on it for about two or three years deleting loads adding loads it was a real, real kind of, a real slog uh, and then I actually still have never got that book published to, to date but I haven't given up on it yet maybe one day uh, and after that, it was I wrote another one that sold quite quickly. So in, in that way, it was all fairly straightforward and it worked really well for me. And I found that script writing is much, much, much harder. And it's really hard to get anything off the ground. So I guess um, for me, books is sort of a, a safe space that I, I know what I'm doing and I feel quite confident figuring out the mechanics of how it works and also knowing the industry quite well. Yeah, and I suppose with a book... Once you've written the book, obviously getting it published is a whole other thing, but it then exists as that story in that book form. Whereas with scripts, the script is like the first step of the process that will then go on for the, you know, the radio drama or the film or the TV series to be produced. So it's kind of like the beginning of a journey as well. Yeah, I think what's what kind of shocked me about screenwriting was that how many people are making a living and selling things and nothing is ever getting made. There's this, there's this huge kind of graveyard of scripts that get bought and get developed and sometimes things even get shot like they make they make a pilot and then never get screened or the pilot gets screened and it doesn't get commissioned for another series so there's a huge amount of hoops to jump through whereas I think if you write a book that is pretty good and has a kind of sellable concept and fits into a kind of sellable part of the market then you've got a really good chance of getting published and if you sell it it will get published you know 99.999% of the time it will get published. Yeah, whereas you could theoretically be a kind of in quotes successful scriptwriter, even if your scripts never actually get produced. Absolutely, yeah. There are loads. There are loads of people who fall into that category, which is quite shocking. I think that's why a lot of screenwriters actually have turned to writing novels and often crime. Yeah, whereas you're going the other way. But I'm trying to expanding, so I quite like to do both. In terms of that first book, the first book you finished, which. You said you, you'd mm-hmm. always written, but you'd never actually finished a project. What do you think it was about that project or that point in time that changed? I think I figured out that actually there was never going to be a magic process, a magic moment that took me over the hump, and that the hump is a real thing and you have to push yourself over it. I had written lots of things in the past that I would be really excited about and then I would get to, say, kind of 20,000 words, 30,000 words at the most, and then I would run out of steam. And it turns out that's a really common phenomenon, actually. I think a lot of people experience that because your initial idea will take you so far and then you just, it runs out, you need to do something else. So 
what I learned was that you just have to grind out the words and somehow get through those difficult bits and it will become easy again. It's like going up a hill, I suppose, and then you come down the other side more easily. So I just forced myself to do it, really. And I think the book is massively flawed and I just really didn't know what I was doing. And I put so much into it that I now would know to leave out. But still, when I finished that book, that was such a, an amazing day. I was so happy and proud that I'd done that. Yeah, that 20,000 word mark uh, does seem to be a bit infamous. I've seen lots and lots Definitely, of writers yeah. note it as the point where things get abandoned. Yeah, but I didn't know that at the time. So I just thought, oh, you know, I can't, I can't do this. I don't know what happens next. So better give up. Yeah, and since finishing that first book, you've then gone on to write lots of books. So did finishing that yeah. first one suddenly kind of unlock everything for you? I think it must have done because I wrote my... So the first book I sold actually was a book called The Fall, which is a, a standalone thriller. So I've kind of gone back to writing those rather than swapped over. Uh, I wrote that in three months, th- three or four months. Um, I was working full time at the same time. I basically wrote it on my commute uh, and it just kind of flew out of me and then I sold it pretty much as it was. So, which is not to say that if I went back to it now, I wouldn't do things differently. I probably would, but it certainly felt like quite a, an easy, joyful process compared to the other one, which had been years of hard work. And in terms of figuring out the publishing industry, was that something you had experience of at all? Or was it that when you started finishing those first manuscripts properly that you then looked into how to get it published? Yeah, it was strange, actually, because I'd always wanted to be a writer. And if you asked me as a child, what do you want to be when you grow up, I would have said I want to be a novelist or I probably didn't know that word. I want to be a writer. I want to write books. Um, we grew up in rural Northern Ireland. So it wasn't something that people around me did. I didn't really know anyone that worked in the arts in any capacity. And my parents were very keen on you know, get, get proper jobs. So I kind of put the idea, put the dream aside a little bit. Um, and for some reason, I never tried to find out about the industry. I never went to any classes or any workshops. I used to do a ton of other night classes and workshops, but never about writing. So I really didn't know anything. It was quite clueless, I would say. Uh, so I kind of accidentally stumbled into it. And at the time, this was like 2010. So obviously the internet was a thing, but I think social media hadn't taken off in, in the same way. I don't think Twitter existed at that point. Um, maybe just about so there, there wasn't the kind of the same amount of knowledge out there online that there is now and the same amount of information so yeah I think I was definitely in the dark and just stumbling through trying to figure it out and I knew you had to get an agent but I didn't know that you could sort of submit to different people at the same time I thought you just had to send it to one person at a time and then wait uh, at this time actually pretty much everyone was still doing physical submissions not email so I still had to had to photocopy my book every time and post it out, and it was all you know all quite labour intensive and expensive. So wow, yeah, <laughs> things are. This is only this is less than ten years ago. So just I know it's just show. crazy that it was still like that back then. Yeah, I used to have to kind of uh, you know use the office photocopier sneakily after hours, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and it was very expensive to package up like a whole really long book and, and post it out. So. Uh, yeah, we're lucky nowadays. I sound, I sound ancient saying this, but yeah, people are, it is much easier nowadays that you can do email submissions. Yeah, and uh, I was just looking on your website and uh, I had to ask about the Nickelodeon International Writing Fellow. I was just wondering if you could just yeah. talk a little bit about that, how it came about and what it was. Uh, so I've just been trying to kind of break into TV writing for a while now and I apply for lots of different things, lots of competitions, schemes, fellowships, and most of the time I don't get anywhere. So... This was um, 
I came across this in, in America. They have um, the system for writing TV is quite different. Most nearly everything's done with a writer's room, so a team of writers. Um, don't really have that over here yet. A little bit, but not in the same way. So TV writers are pretty much employees over there. They they're, they're salaried. They go into the room and, and write. And to kind of find new writers and feed them in for that, they have um, there's a lot of different studio fellowships. So I think there might be ten in total. So there's like Warner Brothers have one, Disney, ABC have one, uh, Fox have one. Yeah, there's loads of them. Um, most of them are only open to Americans, people that can have the right to work there. But this Nickelodeon one actually will get you a visa. I think it was it was one of those things where I was debating with myself. You know, is this worth entering? Like, I'll probably not get it. What's the point? And you had to write a spec episode of an existing show. Um, so I just kind of got an idea for the show Catastrophe, which was which I really like. So I thought, well, why not? You know, I'll just give this a go because I have an idea. And then I was slightly amazed to end up getting it, which I really didn't expect. So I moved to LA for six months, which was kind of crazy. What was the program while you were there? So we, we worked in the office. Um, so we went into the office kind of nine to five and we worked on different scripts and took different classes and workshops um, and into writing rooms and met executives and so on. So they were kind of training you to write in the American system. And how much of that is is been useful and is playing into the script writing work you're doing now back in the UK? It's hard to say, really, because it's very much geared up to working out there. Um, we don't really have that here, unfortunately. So um, I kind of treat it as like a really interesting six-month sabbatical from my life and gets got to live somewhere else for a while made some good friends and found out a lot about how the american system works but i wasn't a massive fan of la so i was kind of slightly glad to come back really yeah it's a it's a strange sprawling place (laughs) yeah it really is and if you don't if you're not driving then you're really hamstrung about where you can go and yeah i think america at the minute is not the best place to be to be with everything that's going on can people find Blackwater on iPlayer? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think it should be up there now, yes. Um, so obviously they, they're in the process of changing iPlayer from being um, only staying, things staying on for a month to things are going to stay on for a year now, I think, which is great. Because it, it's a 10-part drama, so <laughs> the first parts of it had already gone off for the time people were trying to listen to it, which is not ideal. Um, but I hmm. believe it's going to be repeated in September on Radio 4, so it will definitely be on then. Um, and it was on Radio Ulster recently, so you might be able to find it on BBC Sounds. If not, it's coming back, as far as I know. Excellent. And what you did is out now, and uh, The Other Wife is October. The Other Wife, yeah. Out very soon. So, yep, yeah, racking them up, really. Um, and I'm just working on the one that will come after that at the moment. Are you taking a break after that, or is there yet more to come next year? <laughs> I would love to take a break, but um, I'm, about, I'm about to go on holiday for three weeks, actually, tomorrow. So I'll take a bit of a break. But I have two more books due in March, so... That will be, um, I need to go on with that, really. Um, and in the <laughs> workshop, we're going to cover, so as we said, we're creating kind of compellingly character, not just for a series, but also for a standalone. Um, we can look at the supporting cast, what kind of considerations you need to make to think about with that in terms of diversity, our role within the story, and size of cast, I think, is also really important. We'll also look at a bit of viewpoint, which is something I'm absolutely fascinated by, the kind of how character starts to feed into the mechanics of the story and its structure. Uh, so we'll cover all of those things. Um, so it should be lots of time to dig into things and for people to ask questions and so on. Fantastic. I think it will be excellent. So yeah, people can find out more about the workshop over on the Noir Edge website and tickets are still available for that. 
Great. Thank you very much, Claire, for your time. Great. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. Thanks for listening and many thanks to Claire for chatting with us. You can find her website at inkstains.co.uk. That's ink-stains.co.uk, where you'll also find links to her on Twitter, Instagram, and other platforms. So, Steph, uh, we're going to be down at Prima Donna this weekend. We are, yeah, really looking forward to it. The, the weekend is finally here. Yes, yeah, this is really festival season, it feels like. Well, it the, really... the, the, the second festival season of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's taken place this weekend down in Suffolk. Uh, if you're around, do check it out. We'll be reporting back from it we shall, on the absolutely. podcast after the weekend. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the National Centre for Writing, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writer Centre. Search for us on Facebook and sign up to our newsletter over on the website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find me on Twitter at Tarnimus and Steph. And I'm on Twitter at Steph X McKenna. Great. So please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast because it helps other people find it. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.